0: You're listening to this osteopathic life. This is Dr. Amelia Beaky. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings. These conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice.
1: Welcome back
2: to Conversations for the Health of All Things. I'm so excited to share with you our guest who is joining me today. Dr. Isabel Amig, is a rheumatologist in Denver, Colorado, currently transitioning into her private practice, Unabridged MD, where she will practice medicine unedited, cultivating deep relationships with her patients, empowering them with tools beyond traditional medicine. Thanks so much for joining me here today. Thanks for having me. Love it. So, Tell us your story on entering into, let's start with the practice of medicine and your specialty.
1: Yeah, so I'm a rheumatologist, uh, and I actually did two trainings, one in France, and then uh, I did another one in the U.S., so both time in rheumatology, because I think it's a really awesome specialty. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah.
2: I love it. And what interested you about that specialty enough to go through the training twice? What twice. do you find fascinating about it?
1: Uh, um, so, there's two things. One, I think it's a very fascinating uh, field. Uh, it's a lot of very scientifically driven uh, mechanism. So, you know, like the fact that our other, our body can sort of turn against ourselves and cause some uh, issues. So, you know, rheumatoid arthritis causes inflammation that causes joint pain, but also can uh, cause ins- inflammation in the heart um, and really out of the body. And so the, the sort of the systemic uh, approach uh, was really is fascinating to me. Uh, understanding, you know, mechanism all the way down to molecules of inflammation and so on. And then really, I love patients. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I love creating uh, um, a a long lasting relationship with my patients. And so in rheumatology, you do have that because it's very uncomfortable. You can cure patients, but it's not a cure without medicine. It's a cure with medicine. And so you get to see them forever. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's not a bad thing necessarily, right? But you get to do some time check on them once a year and they're doing one um, And that's really what uh, drew me to that practice because I really enjoy uh, knowing patients uh, all the way in.
2: Yeah. And you talk about the systemic impacts of the disease. And in osteopathic medicine, we look at body, mind, and spirit. And do you find yourself seeing that as well come into play? So you mentioned, right, you can have one disease process impacting different systems in the body how do you see that tie in with the impact either of the disease process on their spiritual health or their mental health or vice versa? You see some input and some pathology if they do have some challenge in their life that might contribute to their disease.
1: So I, I, so I definitely uh, see it, Uh, but I would say, you know, I've, I have a personal story that, uh, that kind of ties me even more deeply into this. Um, So I used to already like, know about this and I used to already realize that, you know, sometimes patients don't respond to medicine um, because, and, and this is a shortcut, right? Uh, but I will shortcut it this way. It's almost like they don't allow the medicine to work for them. So they will develop some side effect or they are afraid to give it a full trial uh, or they just sort of reject it, right? And so I had done some work that it's always like that's the, those are like the best cases right like you're like you remember them very well of patients like where like nothing would work or like the patients would not show up or many other rheumatologists and then they are coming and they're destroyed and you're like man like I know my medicines can work <laughs> uh, we just need to get you taking it right uh, and so I started like asking patients hey you know um, can you just do this homework and tell me when you come back or don't tell me but do the homework like, is there anything that your condition has brought to you? Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it was fascinating to hear patients come back and be like, you know what? Uh, it, it, it did teach me something. And I've always thought of rheumatoid arthritis. I'm thinking of this patient, rheumatoid arthritis, destroying all of his joints, um, being angry. You know, when you have pain all of the time, you get angry. And, uh, and just come back and say, you know, I thought about it, and thanks to the rheumatoid arthritis, I developed my business. I started uh, going places and traveling, and he actually agreed to take the treatment. Uh, and he's in uh, remission. So, in the sense, that he needs this treatment, but he has like no more symptom whatsoever. My suspicion, and you know, I'm not a psychologist or therapist by any means, but it's kind of interesting to think, you know, just the fact that he got this sort of realization that that his condition had brought him something. And by realizing it, sort of being able to let it go, right? Yes, now now that I understood what it brought me, I can let it go. And I'm gonna take the treatment and, you know. Um, So that's my personal, uh, like, you know, my professional um, experience. And I have many like this, uh, patients who would not, like would have several side effects after every single biologic. And then one day I asked them to do the same thing. Uh, and this lady, uh, one of my favorite patients, <laughs> comes back and she's like, wow, she had like a full three pages where she wrote a story about, and, and she agreed for me to share it. So it's like about this monster in a den that's our disease and almost like becoming at peace with that monster, right? Like, so mm-hmm. the story is about this, like she becomes at peace with the monster and she's finally able to tolerate the medication and not have any pain, Uh from my own story, uh, it's <laughs> I was completely burned out, and I understand you work a lot with uh, burned out people. But uh, when I turned forty, like two months before I turned forty, I realized I was like I'm um, I'm not where I want to be. Um, and and uh, two months later, and I was crying all of the time. It's it's pretty awful uh, to go back in that time, just you know, just being, realizing how, how how sad I was when really I had finally made it. I was done with my two trainings and so on. Um, but, you know, just the relationship between the mind and the body. And I was so miserable, realizing, you know, I had kids, I had a husband and I had a career. And suddenly being like, but that's, that's not making me happy. And I'm not happy. And I feel like there's no sense to what I'm doing. Um, and... Two months after turning 40, uh, so really, no, not two weeks after turning 40, so basically two months after starting this midlife crisis, mm-hmm. um, got diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And, and, and I could not put it, like, even if uh, it sounds woo woo here, to me, it just happened at that exact moment. And I was just like, you know what, like, this is just, this cancer is here to tell me something. Like, so I'm going to do what I've done with my patients and I'm going to do it for myself what is it teaching me? Um, and that's really where I wanted to, uh, like it's, it's, uh, shifted my, uh, my way of practicing medicine because instead of looking at a condition as if it's an enemy, I started seeing it as, uh, as it's kind of it's silly to say that, but as a friend, right? Like and you can be like, okay, this is a friend that's actually really, uh, really honest and is telling you that you need to work on your life right now. Uh, and started like just kind of getting everything that I could get out of it. And so, I mean, my colleagues and friends could tell you that instead of being miserable, <laughs> because I really was, I started just like sort of transitioning into this very happy, loving, compassionate person um, Getting rid of my ego, uh, and and that was huge, and also suddenly realizing what are my values. Like you know, when you're touching death so close, you're like, well, what is really important to me at this point, right? Like, like this cancer is allowing me to say, I want to live or I want to leave. What do I really want to do? Um, and uh, and that shift uh, really is why I'm shifting. I'm transitioning out of. Uh, my academic work to this personal, uh, you know, um, work. I really want to do a practice that looks like me. And I feel that um, right now in the institution, it it sounds weird to talk to patients and say, hey, you know, you should do this healing therapy and start doing meditation. And I I share this, but I just always feel like, you know, I don't want them to come and think that I'm going to only talk about science uh, because science is great. And I've looked at everything for the lens of science. Um, and there is data on like absolutely everything, actually. Um, but I just felt like I need to to get out more and you know put the patient that I am with the doctor that I am to provide care for the patient. So yeah, mind body. I've talked to a lot.
2: <laughs> no, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing your story. And if you don't mind, how are you now as far as recovery from your own? Like yeah. you said, I love you said, kept so near to death. Right, that's a pretty significant diagnosis
1: I'm doing amazing like I've I've been amazing (laughs) um now I'm doing great um yeah there's such a shift and this is the funny part is that the words that I felt and I was crying all of the time I'm not a crier but I was crying all of the time uh was before the diagnosis and the moment there was a diagnosis there was an awakening of like okay well you've got to do something and so, what are you going to do? So you can be angry. That doesn't work. <laughs> I think I probably got angry for like two seconds. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> because, because, and I'm a, I can be angry, but I was just like, you know, like it's happening for a reason, and I know, you know, we tell our patients like there's maybe no reason, and the fact is I have broadcasts, so That's a reason enough to have a breast cancer, right? But. Like because of all of those things that happen like this, I was like, this is, there has to be a reason, and at least I'm, gonna, I'm going to give a reason to this, right? Because mm-hmm. at least that that will empower me as a patient to give a reason to this. Uh, so yeah, and I think three months, uh, like the second PET scan, I was I was uh, in remission, like metabolic remission. So um, yeah, that went so fast, and but but I was already like, I don't know how to this, but I was already in a better place mentally when I got the PET scan. Of course, you're afraid, and you know, uh, but I was in a better place at that point already. Uh, and so, yeah, it's been good. I mean, the treatments that we have nowadays mm-hmm. are just so powerful. I mean, in rheumatology, uh, rheumatology is just so incredible. The advances that we've done uh, is just you know so. As a patient, it was very interesting because some people were like, oh, it must be really hard to be a doctor because you can, like, you know, you imagine the worst. And of course, I imagine the worst. <laughs> uh, but I also saw so many good outcomes in my practice of rheumatology that I was like, you know what, like, I, I mean, I'm going to believe that I can do just as good as the patient that I take care of. And... um And I think I, you know, I did. I think I did. Yeah, I'm sure I did. Yeah.
2: And so many great points we could pull out of all that you shared. So you mentioned, right, can live or leave. And I love that. I love the wordplay and alliteration and just that experience. And really on that feather edge, you know, where you could tip between the two. Yeah. And how did you make that choice? And recognizing, of course, that there are sometimes variables where the choice no longer is ours. But in that sense of even just spiritually, right, I'm choosing to live here, whatever the other outcome might be. How did you find yourself navigating that decision?
1: Yeah, so I did. uh, That was the main goal. uh, That was almost like the purpose of my being at that time, because I realized I was like, this was a crisis, but now this crisis is actually vital and there is no judgment, um so just just so that I I get back into that story like I had at the time my kids were 3 years old, our twins, so they were 3 years old and uh and I felt super guilty, like horribly guilty. And one of your guests earlier talked about um the guilt as a mom that you have. <laughs> so I had a horrible guilt as a mom because I felt that I was not a good mom to them because I wanted to leave all of the time. I did not want to be next to them because they were overwhelming and they were exhausting. And they also made me realize that I didn't want to spend a lifetime educating them with and raising them with my then husband. And it was, it was tough. Um, so yeah, it became this really the most important thing. Like, do I want to live or do I want to live? And, um, it was going really deep down. So I started doing meditation, starting journaling, did a ton of coaching. Um, I discovered craniosacral therapy. I discovered Qigong energy uh, um, work. I I started reading a ton and really go deeply, remove everything, every ego, right? Because there's no ego when you're almost dying. Like, I mean, there's probably people who still have ego, but you can, you can shut it up much easier than we, when you're in fully, you know, it's, it was easier than now, (laughs) you know, there's no judgment. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And, um, and just really deeply think like, do I want to stay? Uh, and, uh, someone asked me this question, like, did you want to stay because of your kids? And I was like, no, it it had nothing to do with the kids at that point. It was about me and do I want to live? Um, uh, and uh and decide that, yes, I did want to leave, like starting to realize the joy that was around me and uh, the beauty that was around me. Uh, like you know i'm I'm looking at my garden here in Denver, and uh and like I was in that same garden, and I would just meditate under the tree and just realize how incredible nature is, right? Like listening to the birds and just having this appreciation for life to the full extent that it gives you and just be like wow you know I've been I've been running my whole life and I haven't actually stopped and just taken all in and um and yeah I do want to stay and that was you know sudden this sudden realization I do want to stay and I want to stay for me and it's not for anyone else it's just for me um yeah
2: I think that's so powerful and as parents that can seem like the wrong choice, right? Our priority should be different, but we have to be the priority, right? In order to serve in that role of mother or parents in that way, and that's such a powerful realization. And you mentioned for your patients, and that's bold, right? To ask them to write that story, and you might get all kinds of different responses. And we've heard some amazing outcomes from asking that question. So there, how do you navigate that, right? Which is unorthodox, unconventional, unexpected, And, right, could push them into either way. When you ask that question, either answer could come up. How do you hold space for that for your patients?
1: So that's the beauty of being a rheumatologist. You have time, right? That's not the first question I ask. (laughs) Uh, One, because it would tell them that it's their fault, right? And it's not their fault. Um, But I think coming from a place of... It sounds, you know, pure love. I, I never thought that I would use those words, but here I am, I use, uh, if you come from a place of pure compassion, uh, the way that we usually look at our kids, right? Uh, it's, you know, I feel like mother probably even more so, but um, like why, you know, when you're questioning the why, and you're gonna be non-judgmental of any of the why um, and the answers. Uh, so you know, it's usually not the first encounter for sure. After a little bit, uh, and I don't do this with everyone. Of course, there are some patients who respond very fast to, to drugs, and that's wonderful. And you know, I'm super. I, I love it. Um, it's really just a a kind of a kind of uh, patients um, where they're suffering, right? Because they have pain and they are angry and they feel guilty almost sometimes or there's a lot of emotions and just holding that space, which is like, well, I want you to do this homework. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm French, I'm direct. So I think I'm probably more direct than a lot of people, but I would be like, <laughs> you know, I'd like you to do this homework uh, because it will teach you something. It uh, and of course I'm not like, I'm not here to grade anything. If you want to share with me, that's wonderful. Because I'm interested, if you don't want to share it with me, that's totally fine. Uh, and I'm sure some other people, that, like, you know, some other patients have done the work and they didn't share it with me. Uh, but, you know, many have. I think it's just coming from a place of, you know, just curiosity, really. Uh, and sharing that curiosity with your patient, that's, you know, that's super powerful because you're like, there's no judgment here. Um, and I'm, I'm very honest with them. I'm right? like, there's no data behind finding <laughs> anything here. <laughs> so it's just, I will share with them a couple of those stories, you know, uh, of how it may have helped other patients with, before them. Uh, Sometimes I share my own story where it does help me. Um, and it shifts. I think the cool thing about this is that it shifts your body from a fight or flight response to a healing response, right? You're not fighting. You're trying to understand. You're more loving. And instead of being angry and upset, you're more accepting. And I feel that when you're more accepting, you're gonna heal faster. Um, Yeah, that's the space that we try Mm -hmm. to offer. It's not always easy.
2: Yeah, that's beautiful. And just sharing your own journey, through burnout and also showing that it didn't get better in this steep linear curve upwards, right? It got better through the depth and the darkness and the hard places and those really tough questions. And I think that can be challenging to hear, right? Because we want things to just get fixed and you know look better, bloom, blossom. But knowing we have to go into that kind of dormant hibernation space to really come through. I think that's something to really bear in mind for those who might be listening and having those challenges and certainly reach out, right? Reach out to a friend, to a colleague, to a coach and to helplines that exist, but know that sometimes it does get a little worse before it gets better. But as you noted, even though the body maybe got worse, right? Your spirit actually had some light with what would have been is a really traumatic prognosis. Now I want to hear more about unabridged MD. And you mentioned you wanted to build a practice that looked like you. And I love that vision, right? So where do I want to live? And I want to live and work in somewhere that really matches you know, with my values and my way of being. So what does that look like? And how did you use that as your guidepost for moving forward?
1: Well, so I think that one, one of the things that becomes more and more clear as you, know, you, you start like looking at the values that you want to uh, put f- uh, front forth um, is like, am I working in a, a space that allows me to be me on, like you know, on a bridge, unedited, where I don't have to censor myself? And it's again, it's not because my institution is asking me to censor myself; I'm self-censoring. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the idea of being able to share things about healing energy, about craniosacral therapy, about meditation, about you know, visualization. And not have to spend, you know, half of the time explaining why I believe in those, uh, uh, you know, and and not have to go through all of the studies. Um, Because I just feel like right now I'm coming from a, you know, a big institution where people come, you know, sometimes they've seen like four or five other rheumatologists. um, And I want to bring the science. It's really a scientific place. And I, I think that uh like the say of the unabridged md is hope driven by science because i'm from both worlds. hope is so important to me and science is just as important to me um and i want to bridge those two and i don't think that they are you know they should be separated by anything but yeah so the practice right now i feel like i cannot do that as unedited as i would in my own practice um I love Denver, so I really want to stay in Denver and uh, I love the people in Denver. So I want to, you know, uh, bring this to the community of the the patients that I have in Denver, the patients that are around in Colorado as well. And uh, yeah, it looks, I was sharing this with you, but for me, like the, the practice that I envision is a practice that has both the rheumatology, maybe some other specialty. And I have some other specialists that are interested in, uh, you know, uh, coming in the long run. And then having a practice of holistic medicine that will have like craniosacral therapy, coaching, as well as uh, nutrition, so that people understand that nutrition is important, uh, and also give them tools on you know you cannot just say hey change your diet and they're like well I don't know how to cook so <laughs> that's not going to happen. But you know massage is super important and, uh, um, and like Reiki, moving or so right like so we are talking mind body. And spirits, so spirits with, you know, having some connections within each other, uh, as well as um, the body with massage. I was saying this uh, coaching for the mind and then some healing energy. And and my ultimate goal is to do some research on this so we can actually say, hey, you know, this is actually research. Like, yes, it helps our patient and we've actually researched it Um, Mm -hmm. because there's some research and there's more and more interest into those uh, practices of medicine. Um, so yeah, this is, this is the big vision.
2: I love that. And it's so important to note, as you said, could you find this within the institution? Potentially, possibly, and it's also okay to recognize, you know, for me, it works best if I can be in a totally open space where I can cultivate this. And, and both can have success stories. And you've already been able to make these connections with your patients in an academic center, which is fabulous. And, right, the next step is that growth. And so seeing that we can depart from something, I talk about this with clients a lot in positions in different stages of their burnout experience or simply in their career path and saying we can leave something full, right, and happy with it and simply move on because it's time to make that next growth step. I love that. We've heard so many ways, but if you were to bring it all together, how would you say that you see yourself for the health of all things?
1: I think that for me, the health of all things is connections, like real truth, you know, no ego connections, like pure connections. And, um, it's, it's so important. I mean, at the end of the day, um, your life is just nothing if you don't have the connections. Uh, and so I think that it's super important that for me, at least I cultivate that because that's really what brings me joy in the long, you know, in the short and long run, really,
2: connections. Um, would you say, so for me, this ask of the story that you work with your patients and with yourself, do you include in there that connection to you, right, to your own source and needs and knowing? I think that has been such a powerful foundation you've created for yourself. Like you said, I chose, right, to stay for me. And so when we think about connection, thinking about how that complete circle, Includes us in there too.
1: Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Love that.
2: Well, please do tell us. So, for those who are in Denver, where they can find you, and if your presence is elsewhere, because certainly this can be encouraging and inspiring, even if they're not physically proximal to you. I hope what you're working on is being shared far and wide.
1: Yeah. Well, so I've started a, a podcast as well as a YouTube video called Unabridged MD. Um, I've been inspired by many, including you, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm going to be uh, creating my own website, and there will be a waiting list for people who want to work with me. Uh, and I hope they do. And uh, yeah, it's unabridged MD uh, for the podcast. It's going to be unabridged MD for the YouTube video, and unabridgedmd.com for the website. And um, yeah, hope driven by science. That's I what we had.
2: Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and for the work that you're doing. And we look forward to seeing this when it all comes to fruition.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, conversations for the health of all things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com. Visit the website at thisosteopathiclife.com or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at thisosteopathiclife. Life. Thank you so much for listening.